I believe this, that if, if fathers are showing love to their daughters, they don't try to find love in other men. If fathers are showing love to their sons, their sexuality doesn't become distorted and uh, look for it in either pornography, lust, uh, homosexuality, whatever it is. And if you look at most people who struggle with uh, sexuality in, in a place where they they like riddled with lust, riddled with, um, overcome with this thing, it, if, if you go back to the root of it, it's always a daddy issue. It's always, always, always a father issue. Uh, and I remember hearing a story in South Africa, uh, this guy was preaching and just talking about how there's a generation, um, and I don't, I don't know the dates exactly, but during apartheid there was huge segregation, absolutely terrible, shocking, from the pit of hell segregation came. But what happened is because uh, the men had to go into the mines and work, you had a whole generation that was raised up with, without fathers. And, uh, and you look at South Africa today, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good happening, but there's also a lot of bad. Every country has a lot of bad. And I, and I feel that one of those things is that there was an absent father. If you look at the, the gang, gang areas in, in L.A., New York, wherever it is, where there's a lack of fathers, there's gangs. And people, if they're not getting love information from, affirmation from a family unit, they're going to try to find it in something else. And I think we need to fight for the family unit. We need to fight for our families. Uh, we need to fight for a correct understanding of sexuality. And we need to... And I really feel that God wants to set people free tonight. Some of you, if you had to go across the room, maybe half of you are from divorced families. Maybe half of you are from single parent families. There's some of you who have struggled with, with, uh, with lust, pornography, etc. And I feel that, I'm, I'm being blatant about it because I feel that the Father wants to release people and set people free tonight. As we go back to what our identity is, and when we've given our lives to Christ, how He's actually changed us from the inside out. Okay, so Psalm 139. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This is a Psalm of David. And I think we need to get the, the Word of God in us. We need to let the Word of God dictate what we think about ourselves. Because so often we, we let media, we let... We let so many other things dictate who we are instead of the Word of God. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. I love the words are intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, some of you may have come from, you're either adopted, maybe, some, maybe your mom was raped and, and you came into the earth. The Bible says that you were intricately ma- made. You were never a mistake. God, is ne- God doesn't make mistakes. He's made man in his image. It's marred by the first Adam. But thank goodness for Jesus Christ who came back, stood in our place, and has now can change us and set us free. I love that we are intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book they were written, every one of them, the days were formed, uh, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is the ESV, so it's not, it doesn't flow off the tongue. Okay, If you've got NIV, it probably makes a lot more sense. But basically is this. God set out days for you. He set out a plan for you. And we need, we need to stop believing that. We need to stop believing that, that God 
intricately wove me inside my mother's womb with a plan and a purpose for him. And we only find that in Jesus Christ. So, I want to say this. There's what we have, an identity, and a security that we should have in Jesus Christ is, is attractive to the world. The world is looking for everything to find acceptance, to find security, to find their identity. You look at uh, whole marketing schemes. Um, anyway, I don't want to get too much of that. Romans 12 says this, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I'm, I'm praying that tonight, that our minds are transformed. As we go through the Word of God, as we hear some stories of, of lives that have been changed by Him, we are changed. These points are for parents, husbands, wives, children, grandparents. And I think when we understand our individual identity in Christ, it changes everything about us. It helps our marriages. We don't get defensive with our, with our husbands or wives. Uh, we, we, we are whole people once we understand that we are now whole in Jesus Christ. So the first point is this. I am in Christ. Colossians 3, verse uh, 3 says this. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And that is the, that is the symbol of, um, of baptism. Those of you who have been baptized, and if you haven't, I, I recommend it. I'm not recommend it. The Bible commands it. Where it, it just it shows... Um, an outward showing of what has already happened inside of you. you. You dip down into the water. The old man dies, and you are now rising new man. Your life has changed. You're 100% different. You're in Christ. And simply put, for me, is this, is that you're either in Christ or you're in idolatry. Idolatry, I'm going to show you now, it's not some weird little angel that you stick up in the, in the corner of your room and you worship and you pray to. Because my sister in Holland, and I know she won't mind me saying this, I've said it before. But she's got a little angel that I think has followed her everywhere. And I was speaking to some people the other night. Same thing. Yeah, I just collect angels. They just, they protect my home. I'm like, okay, that's a clear idol. And that's not the idol I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about real subtle idols that actually, that actually pull us away from the living God. And, and I've, honestly, I've seen it in planning this church. I've seen people who are set on fire for God, pumping Something happens in their life. Now, it could be a good thing. For example, having a kid, miracle of the father, amazing, they have a child. But what happens is this child becomes the idol, becomes the most important thing in their life, and everything else falls away. And I think we need to learn how to bring our family into the kingdom of God. We need to learn how to bring your, your son, your daughter, everyone along on this mission of the father. So the first thing, I've made an acrostic. Who's acrostic? Is if we look there, the first one is items. I've made an acrostic for idol. Can we go to the... Yeah, anyway. Items. Consumerism, if we're honest, is the biggest religion in our city. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. I'll say that again because it's so true of Dubai. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. And uh, Rom did a presentation for us on, on how, the, how the, the, kind of the, the financial thing collapsed in 2007, 2008. And at the root of that was greed. At the root of that was this over-compulsive spending where people were spending money that they didn't, didn't have, banked on something that they thought they had, and the world 
imploded. And if we're not careful, we're doing it again. Those of you in Dubai, who was in Dubai seven, eight years ago? You used to buy a house and you'd get a car with it. There were some crazy deals on the side of the road. They're like, come now, get a 100% loan. You don't even need a deposit. You get a 100% loan for whatever, a couple of million, and then you get a car thrown in it. And if it's a really expensive house, it was normally a very expensive car. It got ridiculous. It's greed. It feeds to, it feeds to the God of consumerism. And I think it's so subtle, and we need to realize this. Um, I walked into the garden center the other day, and I saw quite an interesting guy. Um, and I'm going to pray that he finds Jesus, because like all of us, we are in desperate need of Jesus to come change us and save us. But uh, he was wearing, I don't know if it was Louis Vuitton, Yves Saint Laurent, something with patterns on it. I just know it was like, he was wanting to show that he was rich. He had the shirt that matched his bag, it matched his iPad cover, phone cover, no jokes, his shoes were the same pattern, and, it, and I was like, and it, and it just didn't look good. If, we, if we're honest about it, and okay, girls, you don't have to hide all your, your Louis Vuitton bags now and stuff, and that's, it's fine to have nice things, but don't let those things own you. But clearly this guy had let status own him. So he'd probably walk out into a car, which I didn't see, and it'd probably have the same kind of pattern on his car. And I, I just thought, do you know what, like, how sad is that? That guy has based his identity on his items, and he wants everyone to see. So instead of just taking out oh, my, my bag, which is, looks like a girl's bag, by the way, I don't know why he was carrying it, and um, he takes out everything to show his possessions, to show that he's somehow superior to others. And I think that, that can so subtly get into our lives. And uh, there's a guy who's, who knows who Tyler Durden is from Fight Club. Yes, you do. Okay. The things you own end up owning you. So true. The things you own end up owning you. There was a girl who worked with Starla a few years ago. And I remember Starla coming home shocked. Now, we, we came from South Africa at that stage. And then it's tight in South Africa. Okay. If you're middle class... You watch every cent. Like, never mind, like, in, in Dubai, it's like, oh, 10 rand here, there. It's like, I remember Bruce can probably, uh, uh, I don't even know the word, sympathize with me. But I remember going to the bank and drawing the equivalent of about seven or eight dirhams out of the bank in a 20, 20 rand note. Things were tight, okay. And, um, and then I came here, and then we, all of a sudden, okay, well, you earn kind of more money, there's no tax. There's like a percentage that doesn't get taken off. So Stala starts working for Nikhil, and this girl, I remember Stala coming back shocked because the girl got a salary for, say, I don't even know, I'm just making a number, say, eight to 10,000. She spent about 7,000 of it on a handbag. And Stala looked at her and said, how, how are you going to live for the rest of the month? She goes, oh, my credit card or whatever, you're not going to pay it next month. And how much do we live like that? We're trying to impress people we don't know with stuff we cannot afford. And I think we need to learn that there has to be wisdom in finances. There has to be wisdom on how we do stuff. And we're not, we cannot project something that we're not. Like I said, if God has blessed you financially and you own nice things, don't feel guilty, but don't let those things own you. Ever. Don't let the value come from what you have, but whose you are. 
And uh, just reading just different articles, sociologists call this competitive consumption. That we live in a city where we compare our wealth with people who are probably about 15 pay grades above us, but somehow we, 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 we think we want to live that kind of lifestyle. And that's why when people come to Dubai, they get like a 50 grand credit limit on their credit card, and they just they end up in more debt than when they came. They came to, to alleviate debt from their home country, but they ended up in more debt. I know so many people, so many people have left their cars and left because they, 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 they've, they've got snatched by this God. And I'm, I'm just saying it's a real thing. It's a real spiritual thing. We need to watch ourselves. Don't let things dictate who you are. The second thing in idols is our duties. See, our duties can be a way that we worship God. So being a mom, a father, a son, myself, a pastor, it's, it's a good thing. But we cannot let, end up worshiping these things. Let me just explain that. Thank you. Dry mouth. If you find security and identity in your achievement or your duties, you will always search for something to excel at in an effort to outperform others. For example, you, you, you kind of pride yourself in being the perfect mom, but then you don't actually end up having this perfect child. And uh, it's because you actually made that child the idol instead of making your focus on Jesus Christ. And the idol that you keep focusing on, it will end up coming back to bite you. I've seen it happen so many times. You've been given natural, you've been given God-given natural talents and duties. Um, so I'm going to miss that out because I actually can't read what I wrote. <laughs> okay, the second thing is, oh, others. And I want to read a quote by Mark Driscoll. He says, that he, he, he wrote a book on identity and he says there's, there's two kind of, there's dependence and independence. Independence is a good thing in some ways because you don't let what other people say affect how you're going to act. But you also don't let people in because you don't want yourself to be hurt. But then there's dependence. That is codependence, all these kind of behaviors. And he says this in his book, which was so eye-opening. It says, talking about dependent people, we have to be in some sort of deep friendship if single or place unrealistic expectation on our part, partner if married or dating we cannot bear the thought of being alone. While this may look loving, then we, uh, when, we, when we struggle with an idol dependence, we're in fact not loving people as much as using them to fulfill our, our need to belong, to be liked, or to be desired. Others can become an idol in our lives. A soccer team can become an idol in our lives. A church, your theolo- theological standpoint can become an idol in your life. All good things, but can become bad things. And the last one is longings. You let your identity be in the future instead of the present. You have this longing for when I get married, I'm going to be effective. When I do this, and you miss out on what God has for you in the moment. And for me, coming back to what I was saying, in Christ, if it's written in the Bible, the word Christian is only mentioned three times. In Christ is mentioned 216 times. We need to get to a place where we understand what it means to be in Christ. And hopefully I'm going to unpack it this, a little bit this week and a little bit in two weeks' time when I preach again. Second point is this. I am a saint. It says, to all the saints who are in Ephesus, 
and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I love that. It says, to all the saints who are in Ephesus in Christ Jesus. In other books, he writes to the Corinthians, and he says, to the saints in Corinth. Now, sometimes our view of a saint is the thing we wear around our chest. The Pope actually, he decides who's a saint or not. Those are not saints. Okay? Those may have been believers or martyrs, but anyone who has given their life to Jesus is blood washed by Jesus. We are the saints of God. We are pure before the Father. And that's what I wanted to talk about identity today because I think so, much, so many of us live in the old identity. We give our lives to Christ, but we keep living in this old identity. We keep believing a lie that is from the pit of hell. And I really trust that people will be set free tonight. God says we're meant to be more than conquerors, yet we stumble in our faith. We have doubts, and at times we struggle. And I think it's, it's understanding our identity. If you look at a baby, he's born with DNA. And in that DNA is, is kind of the, the thing that it's going gonna, gonna, to cause him to be what he, when he grows up. And for me, when we get saved, we get given a spiritual DNA that changes us. And we spend, I think, our whole lives trying to find out what that is. And I think we, if we understand sonship, we understand that we are accepted by the Father, we are in Christ. And I've used this illustration before. Sorry, Chris. This is what it means to be in Christ. This is me. Christ is the Bible. Our lives are hidden inside of Him. When God looks at us, He sees us as perfect. And I think so often we live lives, substandard lives, because we believe the wrong things about ourselves. And I've seen this. I've seen there was a a guy back in Johannesburg that I was counseling and walking through some few, a few things and he was a heroin addict. And, uh, and he just never got set free. And, and I think actually to this day he actually ended up dying. So sad story. But the thing is he wasn't able to get before God and see that his identity was not a drug addict but a loved son. God loved him. And I think that is the biggest thing. People who struggle with habitual sins, we're meant to be more than conquerors. But we're believing that we are still sinners, where God is actually calling us a saint. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He has planned long ago. And then my third point is, I'm a child of God. Can we turn to Romans 8? This is the last point. Please, Lord, bring our venue soon, because it is hot in here. What is I am? Maybe it's because I'm preaching. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear or to fall back into the ways that you used to do. But you have, been, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that's if literally translated means Papa, it means Daddy, it means it's this affectionate term towards God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And I was listening to a sermon on this by Bill Johnson, and he says, This 
could be the greatest revelation in our lives. If we understand that we are heirs with Jesus Christ, we are sons of God. For consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's, I love that picture, that, that creation is groaning for Christians to realize that they are sons and daughters of God. And I think so often we live, we live a, a Christian life that does not reflect that at all. We haven't understood what it means to be loved by the Father. Matthew 3.17. Now this for me is a profound moment. This is before Jesus had done anything. He hadn't uh, raised anyone from the dead. He hadn't done any miraculous work. He hadn't done a good work. Jesus, Jesus rises out the water and says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And I feel that God is doing that today. As I started with Psalm 139, that God is speaking that over us today. Craig, you're my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Gary, you're my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And then the, mo- the moment, there's an incredible thing that happened in the moment. Jesus, he had purpose, he had sonship, he had a hope for the future. And uh, actually, can we all stand? I want to pray. Maya, can, can you bring your keyboard? And I really feel in worship, we really did. Maya started singing a song, you're the king of the universe, but yet you love me. And I, I really feel God wants to reveal something more of that to us. Creation is groaning for us to realize who we are. Can we all just bow our heads? Romans 8 says that we've been adopted into the family of God. A good loving family is where a son or a daughter finds security, finds hope, finds peace, finds a place that they can be themselves. And that's what God wants to do with us. In this house, in this house of city lights, He's wanting you to realize that you are loved, that He's pleased with you. There's sonship, there's purpose, there's daughtership. Father, would you, in this moment, just by your spirit, your word says that it's by your spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. It's by your spirit that we can understand that we are sons and daughters of God, but it's by your Spirit that we can understand that we are co-heirs with Christ. That we are in Christ. We are seated in heavenly places.
say, God says that you're more than you're more than a conqueror. He says you're an overcomer. And so many of us have been striving in our own spirits and striving in our own strength, but the Bible clearly says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I feel that there needs to be a surrender this evening. We don't want to be under an idol. You don't want to be controlled by an idol. You don't want to have anything between you and the Father. We worship you. Ephesians 2 says we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And that word for masterpiece is poema. It's, it means a poem. It means a song. And I think so many of us have been trying to strive to be something we're not. Where God has created each and every single one of us uniquely to be a song to this world. To be a poem to this world. To be sung from your life. So Father, we just pray that you're just, you would bring security by your presence. It's your presence that affirms that we are sons and daughters of God. Righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And I feel that people need to know tonight that righteousness is not something you earn, it's a gift. In that moment of salvation, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, there's this gift that you get given. You get given eternal life. You get adopted as a son. You get made clean and whole. And just while everyone's eyes are closed, if I always have to give an opportunity, if anyone hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ, you may have attended church a lot, a little, maybe your first time, that's all right. but if you haven't given your life to Christ, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. We can accept this incredible gift of righteousness, this gift of salvation into your life.